And so in that series today, we, we focus in on 2 Timothy chapter 2. So if you want to turn there, we'll read that here in just a minute. And we're actually going to focus on verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. So when I lived in Orlando, uh, we lived, I think I've told some of you, uh, in, 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 in an area of town where from our backyard, you could see the Magic Kingdom fireworks. And that was pretty cool. And my dad would gift us annual passes. And so, you know, unlike, unlike if you vacation there and you feel like you need to run yourself ragged and stay in the park from as early as possible to as late as possible, when you live 10 minutes away with annual passes, you show up whenever you want, you ride two rides, and you go home. Right? And so we, we just really enjoyed the parks. Well, one thing about that Disney culture is they, they actually respect diversity, and that brings a lot of different things. We, we know in the history of what the Baptists have done at times with Disney that that's not always been a pleasant relationship. But I will say this, they've always been welcoming of the churches in that area and in that community to love and serve in the ways that their cast members, as they call them, would welcome it. So back when I was there as a pastor, our, our church helped start what was called the Church at Disney. And you've probably never heard of it because no one really ever heard of it. It was very much underground. It was very much not intended to be something that got put up on a billboard or on a platform, but simply was our way of equipping cast members who were Christ followers who just wanted to bring the love of Jesus to their fellow cast members. One of my favorite stories to tell is in the Disney Vacation Club. Anyone heard of that? The Disney Vacation Club? So the Disney Vacation Club, one of our leaders with our church family was the head of the Disney Vacation Club. And so that gave us a little bit of an inroads, right, since he was the head of it. So secretly, he would allow us to just have some time with their cast members who were Christ followers and encourage them on how they could be disciple makers in that community and bring abundant life and love to those around. One of my favorite stories from that venture is the story of Jim. His name's Jim, and he got a job there. And he drove the bus for guests who would come and learn about the Disney Vacation Club. And as Jim ministered there, Jim became close with one of the other cast members as an encourager in a very healthy and rich friendship, and her name was Deb. Deb's husband suffered with Alzheimer's as a 56-year-old, one of the youngest, uh, and a very hard battle for them. I actually preached Jim, her husband's funeral, and multiple cast members who did not know Jesus came and heard the gospel because of how Deb loved them. One of those cast members, her name's Joan, and she gave her life to Jesus because of how Deb loved her, because of how Jim loved Deb, because of how some of our leaders had loved Jim. Paul, in this passage, describes that same kind of passing along. And what most missiologists say is that 
if we really want to see something special in North America, we want to pray for God to make four and five and six generations of disciple makers. What does that mean? So in that story I just told you, one of our leaders, Ted, who encouraged Jim, that was one generation to two generations, and Jim to Deb was two to three, and Deb to Joan was three to four, and then so on. And what I think we can pray for in a healthy way, even here in the Bellevue community, is that leaders, disciple makers, will emerge in us. Many of you are already doing it. And that we'll keep doing it and others will emerge and catch the vision that the leaders of the church at Harpeth Heights into the future may not even be believers yet. What if our future women's ministry leader isn't even a believer today? What if our future youth volunteer working with students, isn't even a believer today. But we've got to catch that vision. We've got to see, and here's what leaders do. They can see further than what is actually happening now. I had the privilege this last week of meeting the new president of the International Mission Board, Dr. Chitwood, Dr. Paul Chitwood, and he, he's a very humble and very encouraging and very gifted leader. But I'll, I'll tell you what I loved was I got to hear his story. His mom abandoned their family at two. His dad worked in a coal mining community in eastern Kentucky. And his dad, doing the best that he could to raise three very, very, very rugged boys who made a lot of trouble for a lot of people in their community. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, these two men in the community developed a relationship with Dr. Chitwood's dad. And he engaged with them in a friendship and started bringing his boys to one of the local churches there in that community. And that local church had a ministry that you may have heard of before called the WMU. Right? By the way, and I get laughed at this, Miss Janice, I get laughed at by my colleagues because I think the WMU is one of the hippest ministries that Baptists have. And if you don't know what I mean by that, just research the ministries they've been involved with and you'll find out. But here's what's so cool. These two ladies with the WMU of that local church decided that they wanted to love those three boys like they'd never been loved before, like they didn't have a mom because they didn't. And they loved them well. And Dr. Chitwood became a, a follower of Jesus because of their ministry. Right? Here's this future president of the International Mission Board. With, it could have gone down a path that many go down when they're abandoned by a family member, especially someone like a mom. And yet these women loved him like his mom. And again, you see generations of disciple making and the effect that it has take a look at this passage and hear what paul is saying to timothy he says in verse two and let's just look at verse two here 
What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men. And by the way, the word in the Greek there is more of a generic word. It actually means other people. So commit to faithful people, men or women, who will be able to teach others also. And the word for teach there is informally instruct. Do you catch that? In your life. In your life. Paul is saying, what has been passed to me, I pass to you, Timothy. Now pass it to others who will then pass it to others. And I would suggest to you that the leaders we need, the leaders we need across our family of churches are unique life givers who are intentionally encouraging other people to become life givers also. Because that's what abundant life is. And Jesus said he came to give abundant life. Let's pray together. And I just want to encourage you with a couple highlights from that. Father, thank you. Thank you for your great love. We've sung about it this morning. We've sung about your promises. We've sung about your faithfulness. And we needed to sing about it. Because we forget. We need those reminders. We may not even mean everything we're singing, but we know that you love for us to sing your truth so that we can remember it. Help us. And as we're remembering it, help us to become disciple makers and leaders who keep learning about you while we help others discover who they are in you as well. And we give this time, this morning, and this chance to look at your word together to you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Two things I just want to point out to you from this text that I think are really meaningful when it comes to the leaders that we need. The first one is this. I think the leaders that we need across our family of churches entrust their lives to others. Entrust their lives to others, especially those who don't have abundant life yet. Look at that. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses Commit to faithful men. Now, I said to you that that word is a generic word for mankind, the word, the Greek word that's used there. And so it's not just about men. It's because the reason I think that's important to understand isn't just because of the day and the culture that we're in today. The reason I think that's important to understand is because the teach word that he's about to use here, it isn't just a formal teaching setting. It's an everyday life teaching. It's a learning and causing others to learn out in the midst of the informalities and the formalities of life. It's, it's not just about platform or master teaching or classroom teaching. It's life teaching. 
And Jesus modeled this for us, didn't he? He he certainly did the teaching in front of people, but he did so much teaching when he created learning environments with those other men, and they sat down together, Jesus and them, over meals and serving together, and in those rhythms, learning the gospel and the kingdom of God together. And, And that kind of learning, that kind of life on life, that That kind of giving our lives away is what Paul is talking about here. So when he talks about these committing to faithful men, he's talking about committing it and trusting it. He's saying, Timothy, entrust this. You've heard this word before, but it may surprise you where the same word that Paul uses here is used. The same word that Paul's using here with Timothy is used by Jesus on the cross when he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's the same word. He's saying, God, I am, Father, I entrust my life. I entrust this to you. In the midst of this brokenness and the hardness and the difficulty of that moment of the cross, I entrust my life to you, Father. And here's Paul with the same word, exact same word, saying to Timothy, you give your life into these people too. Give your life into them so that they'll give their life into others. And it begs the question, into whom are you giving your life? We can learn and know all the things that we could ever learn and know about the Bible. We could learn and know all the things that we could ever know about how to have a healthy marriage or a healthy, how to be a healthy parent, or how to be a good steward, and on and on and on and on and on and on. But until we pass that along, do we really know it? C.S. Lewis said that you really don't own anything until you've given it away. And I think, I think the challenge for us, what Paul is telling Timothy here is, because by the way, Timothy led the Brentwood Baptist of the first century. And I'm not trying to brag on Brentwood Baptist. I'm just saying, when people thought of Timothy's church family that he led, they were the sending, giving, generous church of that whole region. And if you don't believe me, you can go to Acts chapter 19, verse 10. And in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, it says that the church at Ephesus, that that church because of what Paul did there and the leaders did there and the way that they trained other leaders in the school of Tyrannus is what they called it, which I don't even know where that comes from and its name. It just always makes me think of dinosaurs. But nonetheless, what they did in that school of Tyrannus and how they developed leaders, do you know what the scriptures say? Go to Acts 19.10 and you'll see it. It says, because of what they did in developing those leaders Every Jew and Greek in Asia Minor heard the word of the Lord. It didn't just say like every other or a few. Every Jew and Greek. Do you hear that? And you see, we have to ask ourselves, why? Why would that matter? 
right? This isn't just about proselytization. This isn't just about conversions. This isn't just about church growth. This is about life. It's about identity. It's about security. It's about purpose. It's about a with Jesus life. And it's the life we were made for. And we get to go help other people find it and discover it. Can you believe that? I don't have to be perfect, and I'm not. I don't have to know everything, and I don't. And yet we have been invited into that kind of life-giving ministry. Into whom are you entrusting your life? Because Paul tells Timothy that that's what leaders do. He's saying to him here, commit to faithful men. Entrust your life to them. The second thing I would suggest to you that I think we need our leaders to be is not only people who entrust their lives, not only people who entrust their lives, but people who cause others to know and learn. People who cause others to know and learn what we are knowing and learning. Let's process this a little bit. The word that he uses here in that, in that verse, in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit or entrust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. I love the word that's used for teach here. It's not the common word that's used for teach. It's a word here that's used that basically means create environments where other people can learn. Create environments where other people can learn. And I may have said this to you before, but my dad taught for New Orleans Seminary for 40 years. And, and, and I, over the last 20 or so years of that time, he was the one guy that got to basically train every faculty member. And what I appreciated, because I sat in on a couple of those trainings, what I appreciated was hearing him say this to those professors, especially after I went to seminary. I really appreciated this. He would say to them, some of you like to hear yourselves teach. Some of you like to hear yourselves teach, and you're not educators. Some of you like to cause learning to happen, and you are educators. Right? You think about it. I get to teach at Belmont as well. I teach one class a semester over there. It's New Testament, and juniors are required to take it. So I rarely have like a religion studies major in there because everybody's required to take it. So it is a blast. I mean, they don't walk in there thinking they know everything about the New Testament, and I don't walk in there thinking I know everything about the New Testament, and I do the best I can praying, 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 praying that each of them, whether they believe Jesus or not, will realize that the New Testament has a compelling message that they need to take seriously. And all I do is ask a lot of questions. 
And the discussions are rich and they're meaningful. And I'm just trying to cause a moment where even this last semester, this young lady who, who was not a believer in Jesus, you know, was able to really process the message of the New Testament and admitted in, with tears in her eyes that she had not heard that that was the message of the New Testament before. Right? This isn't just about us convincing others. This isn't just about us getting up and being the expert about something with others. This is about us being learners ourselves. That's what a disciple is. That's what the word disciple means. And then learning with someone else. Process this with me, right? I mean, same question as the first point. Into whom, or better said, with whom are you learning the gospel of the kingdom? Right? Into whom are you entrusting your life, and with whom are you learning the gospel of the kingdom? And think about this. A lot of us, look, at, we'll look back first at chapter 2, verse 1. What, is, what does Paul say to him to start this chapter off? You therefore, my son, now he's talking about his son in the faith here, right? It's a metaphor. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I love this because when you see Paul get older and older and the way he writes his letters, he is desperate for the gospel in his older letters versus his younger letters. And you know what I think that means? I think he, instead of getting strong in all the other things that he had gotten strong in as a Pharisee, he started getting strong in his weaknesses in the grace of Christ. And that's why he would write in 1 Timothy chapter 1, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And if you want to see what Paul thought about being strong and all that other stuff, you can go to Philippians 2, where he actually uses a first century slang word to describe what all of that strength and all of those other religious things meant to him. And he said, I give that up for the surpassing knowledge of knowing the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand? You and I have not been called just to get strong or be strong Christians. I want to suggest to you this morning that the phrase strong Christian is not even biblical. I want to suggest to you this morning that the idea of you or I becoming good Christians isn't even biblical. The idea is for us to embody the goodness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the forever love of our Father, and the presence of of the Holy Spirit who allows us to learn the gospel of the kingdom with others. And it is a gospel of the kingdom that requires my confessional weakness for others to even see why the gospel matters in my life. My vulnerability is is, is essential to disciple-making, and my vulnerability is essential as a leader. I don't show up as an expert. I show up as a learner. I don't show up as someone who knows everything and can teach anything. I show up as someone who just wants to learn with you. And the leaders we need cause learning environments 
to happen in the informality of life so that others can discover their identity in Jesus as well. Please hear that. Very practically, some of you this year may have made a New Year's resolution. I don't know. You may have made a New Year's resolution and you may have thought, I want to read the Bible through this year. Right? That's great, by the way. I think reading the Bible through is fantastic. Can I tweak the resolution for you just a little bit? Why don't you read the Bible through with someone who hasn't before? Why don't you read it through with someone who hasn't read it through before? Some of you may have said, I want to be a better husband this year. Can I tweak that goal a little bit? Why don't you figure out how to learn and grow as a husband with someone else who's a brand new husband? Some of you may have said, I I want to figure out how to be a better steward this year. Can I tweak that a little bit for you? Why don't you learn how to be a better steward with someone who's just at the beginning of trying to figure out what in the world that even means? And they may not even be a believer yet, but they're looking at the present economy and, and the strength or the ups and downs of it. They're looking at all the various things around them as young people going, I got an average, young people have an average of $28,000 of student debt when they exit college, and I need to figure out what in the world I'm going to do. Married young students have an average of $57,000 of student debt. What if God's Spirit led you to learn stewardship with someone this year? Do you catch it? Do you see it? You might say, Jace, this your job, that's what you harp on, I get it, I'm hungry, it's time to go to lunch. Can I, just, can I just warn you of something? You might be missing abundant life if you're not giving life to someone else. You might be missing out on abundant life in Christ if you're not giving life to someone else. And I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss it. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be perfect in everything. You just need to be honest about why you need the gospel too. And you'll be surprised at how God uses your service slash leadership to creatively and innovatively and intentionally create learning environments in which you entrust your life to someone else and they discover life in Christ with you. Kyle's going to come back up and we're going to pray. And I just want to ask you to pray a simple prayer. If you're with us this morning and you've just heard about this grace in Christ for the first time or you've been hearing about it and you're like, you know what, I want to follow Jesus. I never have and I know I need to. Or I've been hearing this message and I know I need it and I just want to learn more. You may have come with somebody today, get with them. If you didn't come with anyone today and that's you, I'll be standing down here. One of the other staff members, one of the deacons will be down here. We would love to talk with you or pray with you. You can come by afterward. 
But if you're here this morning and you're a part of this church family, I would challenge you to pray a simple prayer. Jesus, help me to entrust my life into someone else that they might learn the gospel with me this year. Simple. What would happen? How would you know abundant life like you never have before? What would happen? What if just each of us said one person, God, that's it, this year? That's pretty doable, right? Would you pray that prayer? Would you ask him, we'll take a moment just to be silent, and ask him to help you to entrust your life into someone else that they might learn the gospel of Jesus Christ with you and might know abundant life together. Let's take a minute to pray that together.